So things are much better now. Oh, God, yeah. I was in a, uh, a marvelous room with another fellow who, uh, <clears throat> who said to the... Uh, there was a very cold-looking nurse, very stern. And <laughs> he said to her, she said, Well, what are you going to have for breakfast? And he said, Could I have... Um, he said... Uh, some orange juice, but you know the little cups they use for the urine specimens? <laughs> he says, could you empty one of those out and put the orange juice in that cup? He says, because when I, I like to smell a little urine, he says, when, when and she's looking at me, <laughs> this guy talking about when I drink the orange, he says, and could you let me have two eggs? I like them runny. Like, don't maybe put them, put them on the grill maybe for four, maybe three seconds the most. And don't, don't use butter. Uh, use Crisco. Uh, or if you have some Pennzoil. And this nurse is staring at him. He says, and give me some, some bacon, some bacon. I want it rare, raw if possible. I want raw bacon, and I want coffee left over from last week. <laughs> she says, what are you talking about? I can't serve you a breakfast like that. He says, well, you did yesterday. <laughs> Sleeping towel. <laughs> Keep oh. me safe at night. What is a sleeping towel? Uh, I have been using this to <clears throat> cover my eyes while I sleep. <laughs> Why don't you just turn off the light? There, there's an outdoor light that it's not direct, but some of the outdoor light filters in through a window, and it just. It's very faint, but I've noticed that if I cover my eyes while oh. I sleep, I do sleep better. Muffin. The light bothers you while you try to sleep. It's a very bright light. I thought you were from Jersey. You just go I'm out sensitive. and throw a rock at the light. That takes care of it. it. Those lights moved. Like when cars would come by, the light would would flash across the room, you know, as the, yeah. the car moves past. And it was really cool. It was like kind of like a nice... There's some kind of a rhythm to it. You'd hear the the tires go by, and mm. it was like it was therapeutic. But this is just a constant like light that 
eats away at you. Mm. I'm also a lot older than I was then. More sensitive these days. Mm. You can you can move your room to the back. In the back of the house. There's no lights back oh, there. Oh, okay. So just do that. Yeah, just pick up your house, flip it around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always thinking. Right. Are we ready for this? I'm. I, I was adding some last minute things that I, I saw you there working on the uh, um, outline. Thank you for doing that. I'm actually. Uh, uh, I I mean to do it every single week. I you just normally get uh, there first. I I'm actually um, not supposed to be hosting this episode. I'm guesting because I need to oh, guest on okay. all five shows. So if I gotcha. host this one, that's that's no good. That doesn't oh, count. Oh, look at that. You you jumped on that before anyone else could call you That's out. That's right. Oh, well, technically the two of them were his shows. So, no, no, no. I'm guessing. I'm on the Richard show right now. The Richard okay. film dangle. Oh, so you've been uh, fired. You're at least suspended. You did something so yeah. terrible. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you had to get suspended. Uh, there's impeachment process happening right now. Yeah. It's probably and fly through is... the house, but not the Senate. This is kind of like uh, the trial, just to see, you know, can we get them back on board? So on Thursday, I did retro, no, I did the Cartridge Club podcast. Then I just wrapped up the um, CC Portable podcast with uh, Curtis and Eric. I think I could say that. I'm not sure if this episode comes up before, but whatever. Hey, you still there? Okay. Yeah, I forgot to record, so. Okay. <laughs> now I'm recording. And, um... What was I saying? Oh, and then, uh, so, yeah, we uh, we did the CC Portable. We talked uh, for an hour about the game. And then we finished the show. And then uh, we talked uh, for 45 minutes about politics. It was good times. <laughs> Political talk. You got a big uh, hoodoo going on in Canada right now, huh? Uh, I, I don't know if that's politically correct to say hoodoo. That sounds uh, racist, Richard. Is it? I don't know. <laughs> A big to-do? big to-do. Yeah, yeah. It's all craziness. And, and, you know, it's one of those situations. If you're talking about Trudeau's blackface thing, it's one of those uh, things where, because there was blackface and brownface, um, it's one of those things where if you like Trudeau going into this, you were going to accept his apology and move on. And if you didn't like Trudeau, it was just going to reaffirm your biases towards him and not change anyone's opinion. Mm, so what's the that point? That sounds right. Yeah, so what's the point of the whole thing? You know, everyone's getting upset. Or, or getting upset at the people who are getting upset. And it's like, eh, this wasn't going to change your opinion either way. So let's relax. I mean, yep. he's got bigger problems. He's got scan like real scandals, like money exchanging hands scandals, buying uh -oh. votes scandals, real serious stuff. But people, that's boring, right? People want to ignore that stuff and get all worked mm -hmm. up over racism. Meanwhile, his policies have been nothing but pro-minority. Like he's been the most pro-minority prime minister of all time in Canada. Mm. So really, it's, you know, actions. You know, his current actions speak louder than his actions from 20 years ago. Are you saying that he might have changed? Mm-hmm. Like, grew as a human being. You know, he grew up as oh. a privileged, uh, white uh, kid in Quebec. That has a very different um, outlook on society. And uh, he grew. He grew out of that and learned to not be such a jerk. My goodness. Yes. 
You're, you're telling me that people could be completely different from the time they enter their school years to the time they finish? Well, the last brownface incident on re- record, he was a, a, a teacher, and he was 29 years old. So I, I don't know mm. if he was that young, but uh, yes, yes. I, mm. I mean, even if you look back into my past, uh, oh, 2001. Yeah. When was your last blackface? Ooh, you know, I never did the blackface thing. But, uh, you know, there was, you know, things and thoughts of different, you know, and I've grown since then, you know, oh. nothing, ra- you nothing a copy of the anarchist cookbook. I don't even know what that is. Mm. No, sure no, nothing like that. But, you know, I- I'm glad there was nobody recording what I was doing back then. I'd be in trouble <laughs> right now. Big time. Probably just a bunch of stupid haircuts. Yeah, dumb haircuts and just, you know, eh. nothing, to, nothing to get worked up over. Anyways, there's your political talk on Retro Film Dango, if this makes it in, depending on the editor. Probably not, because I missed the beginning. I got it, if you want me to send it to you. If you want me to, uh, to put it to you. I'll send it to you. I got to send Curtis uh, my recording of that show anyway, so might as well just carry on and send out recordings. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. Because you've learned as a human being. That's right. I've grown. Nice. Since You're the, helpful. Since the first episode, I've, I, I used to not help anyone. Now I help people out. Oh, look at you. Well, today I would like you to help me out as we discuss as a guest uh, three seventies Bush movies. Yes, yeah. so I'd like to welcome my guest uh, Kevin, who runs the uh, Buried right. on Mars YouTube channel. Yes, that's correct. Why don't you tell us about your videos? Oh, where, that's where can the people find you? Boring. Nobody wants to hear about that. That's uh, all. All good. right, I'm here let's to move fandango. on then. That's right. Let's do the Fandango. <laughs> Uh, all right, this uh, week we've got, no, this month we've got three 70s films. We've got The Taking of Pelham 123 from 1974. We have John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13, 1976, and The 7-Ups from 1973. Why did we go in this order? You put it in this order. No, yeah. I didn't. You listed them in this Mm-mm, order. Absolutely I not. just followed I was going to put the taking of Pelham one two three last. That's what if I, I, I agree. Let's do that one last. Yeah, absolutely. Let's okay, do. Where do you want to start? Okay, let's do the one that we both hadn't seen before first. How's that sound? The John Carpenter this... one. I've seen that before. Oh, you have. Oh, yeah. well, which one do you want to do okay, first? We... I don't know. Let's let's do let's switch it up here. Let's go reverse order here. Okay. We'll do Seven Ups and then Carpenter. See, I'm just trying then... to be helpful because I've grown. As a yes. person, right. Mm-hmm. Well, it's good. The guest can suggest things. All right. All right. Okay, first film, uh, 1973, The 7-Ups. Here's the trailer. When organized crime becomes so clever that the police are forced to take desperate measures, it becomes hard to tell the cops from the killers. Quick, Bobby! Bobby, get him! Roy Scheider. In the French Connection, he helped to crack a $32 million dope ring. Now he's back, leading a new team of undercover super cops, even more ruthless than the mob they're gunning for. The 7-Ups. 
the dirty trick squad that even the regular police are afraid of. Who shot the policeman in your car? I'm a hurt bad. Who shot your car, man? They bust you. They break you. They make you beg for a nice, safe stretch in prison, seven years and up. Who were those guys that shot my partner in the back seat of the car? The guy you iced was a cop. So he was a cop. Now, from the producer of Bullet and the French Connection, a high-speed ride with the strong arm of the law. a matter of kill or be killed. And once the 7-Ups are on your tail, there's only one way to get them off. The producer of Bullet and the French Connection brings you the ultimate chase in the 7-Ups. I can't remember the music. I want to hum along to the music, but I can't remember it. Uh, I don't remember it either. It was, it was funky, though. It was 70s, 70s funk. Oh, it was definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Uh, a tough detective who is part of an elite New York City unit is trying to find out who killed his partner, but uncovers a plot to kidnap mobsters for money. Money. You love those one-sentence one rundowns. You know, I, I feel like there needs to be more there. But you... I, Yeah, I feel like this one came out kind of short, but I just didn't have time to uh, find a better one. Uh, I just, How would you describe this film? Well, I, would, I just would have to add that the seven ups the name refers to that this is a a, a group of police officers in in a de department that only go after criminals who they feel would get a sentence of seven years or more so that's why i they was were gonna called. put that in the fun facts that's not a fun fact it, that's part of the plot <laughs> well it, no it's okay. a fun fact all right sorry but it but it was kind of wordy and didn't sound very smooth so no simple Right, and they are kidnapping mobsters, but they're really loan sharks. Kind of. Yeah. I, we'll, we'll get to that in okay. a second. All right. But um, let's keep going here. Right. Uh, the director, Philip D'Antoni. Sounds Italian. Philip D'Antoni. That's right. Uh, who is also a producer. I think you could just say D'Antoni. D'Antoni? Yeah. Sorry. Are you Americanizing? Yeah, D'Antoni. Dan Tony. Yeah. Uh, he directed this film. He was also producer of The French Connection and Bullet, two films that uh, pr previously featured on Retro Film Dango. Yes. And if we were on our game, we would have put this movie in with uh, those two. Well, we didn't know these fun facts. No, I didn't. Uh, runtime, an hour and 43 minutes. Uh, and uh, there has been no crappy remake of this uh, film as of yet. Still could happen. It could. It now that we're doing it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Why don't you read off some fun facts, there, guest? I absolutely. I, I would love to host. Uh, the vehicle that Roy Scheider is seen driving is a 1973 Pontiac Ventura Spirit Coupe. 
I thought you would like that. I did. I did, did you, like did it. Did you a lot. see? I put a photo of it up there. For I you. did. I, I love it. It's it's wonderful. There's a lot of Pontiac in this movie too, so I wonder if they got a, a little bit of a deal. Uh, I uh, I don't know much about the cars. Uh, I'm not down with all the the, the interwebbing that you do. Well, the, uh, on the cars and well, all that. That Internet Car Movie Database. Internet Car Movie Database. That's your friend. It's good times. Oh, okay. They even have every but, episode of Columbo in there. Oh, like all the cars. All the cars, like every episode. <laughs> it's amazing. I'm like, there's no way they'd have this in here. Yep, there it is. He's driving a 1971 Jaguar. Wow, that's amazing. I love it. Well, there were a lot of ritzy uh, antagonists yes. in that show, and they're always driving fancy cars. But the sun, the, no, no, no car chases or anything, but no, lots of cars. No, there's smoke of... chasing Columbo's car as he drives by. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't uh, keep track of all the cars and everything, but the car is used in this film. We'll get to it when we talk about the chase scene, but mm. the, the engines. Yes. Uh, the sound of that engine. Yes. Okay. Uh, approximately 15 cast and crew personnel worked on both this picture and the earlier movie, French Connection, 1971, which were both from the 20th Century Fox studio. Um, just to add to that fun fact, because I notice you don't have it written down here. Um, so the stuntman who did the car chase in Bullet and French Connection, his name is Sonny Grosso. Um, nope, sorry. His name Gene is... Hick Hickman? Bill Hickman. Bill Hickman. Uh, yeah, he was the same stunt driver that did the chase scene in, in this one. So that guy really did all like the planning and everything for all these classic, uh, iconic uh, car chases, which explains yep. why all three of these, those films have different directors, but... Like uh, the the quality of the car chases is uh, is up there. Um, I will say though that um, the car chase in this one it loses a little bit of points, just a few points because they do the speed up camera thing uh, in a couple of uh, mm. couple of shots or sped up camera, which just oh, that just oh I I don't like that, but. It's just still maybe that card. was maybe that was Dan Tony's input. Could have been. Who knows? Or the editors. I don't, don't know. I, I'm sure it's definitely not the stuntman's. That wouldn't be his thing. This was his last film, though. Uh, the the stuntman? stuntman? Bill Hickman? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, according to Dennis Farina, that's a funny name. Do you know, do you know Farina, the breakfast food? Was it, Dennis Farina was also in, um, no, I don't know. The, isn't it dog food? No, that's Farina. That's Purina. Farina is like uh, I don't know what it is, but it's just this creamy wheat, cream of wheat, uh, sort of breakfast thing. I used to eat it a lot when I was a kid. Well, Dennis Farina was also in Get Shorty, and he was fantastic in that movie. And he just died recently too. Oh, poor guy. Yeah, good actor. So, according to Mr. Farina, this film was uh, the most realistic in its depiction of cops. He was once a cop who worked in Chicago, and I think the cops did come across very cool and distinct in this film. I mean, um, they were kind of the elite cops. But... Another interesting fun fact uh, that uh, so this is where Sonny Grosso came in. So. Roy Scheider played a character in French Connection that was based on Sonny Grosso. 
Apparently, this mm. guy had so many stories about his career. He was a real cop in, in New York City cop. He had so many stories in that, and he would hang around, and he'd start telling his stories. And that's where this 7-Up movie kind of came about as he continued to tell stories. And they said, you know what? We should take these stories and make a movie about you. And so Roy Schneider... Uh, Schneider. Schneider. I, I, I keep wanting to say Schneider, yeah. like the, the wieners. Uh, Roy Baby wanted to... Um, uh, so that so he's playing a character based on the same person again, but it's a different name. It's a different character, but it, they're both based on the same real life person, if that yep. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And the movie, uh, two point five million dollars was the budget. Two point five million dollars. That wouldn't even buy you an A list actor these days. Absolutely not. Not even close. So I had seen The 7-Ups before. I think I watched it earlier this year and really enjoyed it. And, and I believe it was after we did our car chase. Um, it at, came up after, yeah, we mentioned it after we did French Connection and Bullet. Yeah, and I regretted like that I hadn't seen it before because that would make... Thing. But the, this movie still fits in really well with these other two films, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed it. So that's why I wanted Richard to uh, watch it as a guest. I wanted the host to watch this uh, film. And so I'm really curious. Uh, I, I enjoyed it, of course. That's why I wanted to watch it. I'm really curious to see what Richard uh, thought of The 7-Ups. So what would you think of it? It was good. Mm. It was like a solid good. Um, I never felt like it achieved greatness. Like I wasn't really super impressed by it. As a whole, maybe French Connection and Bullet felt like more complete films to me. But there were moments of pure excellence the car chase was the first thing that made me like open my eyes mm-hmm. or like whoa something excellent is going on here um it, it was a, a wonderfully done chase scene which had a, a great finale to it yes um, i'd say bullet um the car chase and bullet that one had a really nice progression where it started very slowly gradually picked up and then you know before you knew it you were just racing around the streets and that one had a really great finale too but this one um i don't know if we want to say it but it involves a crash and it's a very spectacular looking crash Mm. that uh makes you wonder how roy scheider is still alive (laughs) (laughs) absolutely that's those old those old muscle cars you know They, they used to be made out of steel darn it I just love too how they all moved on those old suspensions. Like even when they were just driving them around normally, and they they stop or whatever, and the whole car just keeps moving forward as you know the car stops, but the the body moves forward, even though mm-hmm. the tires are sitting there, and then they they snap back. Uh, I just love those old suspensions. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you, um, especially watching it this time around. The first time it caught me by surprise, right? Because I had never heard of the movie before. And it mm-hmm. came up on my uh, guide. It was, I think Turner Movie Classics, Turner Classic Movies was uh, airing it. And uh, I saw all the names and I'm like, oh, I'm going to record this. I never even heard of this. And I watched it. I'm like, wow, this is really good. Uh, this time watching it, I can like kind of see the flaws a little more because I'm not uh, as enamored with or uh, I don't know. I, I could just I took it in more a little more critically. I definitely would say uh, compared to the, all three of those movies, this is the weaker out of all three of them, but mm-hmm. uh, it, that I mean, you're stacking it against amazing movies, so it's it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the plot seems a little muddled at times. Yeah, it. 
I had a hard time fo- not following it, but finding good interest in the first 20 to 30 minutes of the film. It just seemed like there was yeah. a lot going on, and it, n- none of it ever seemed to be that heavy because they hadn't really uncovered much. And even by the end of it, um, it, it's just like one or two guys that are involved in this whole uh, plot of what's going on. And it was never really clear about the whole mafia kidnappings. It, like that didn't really become evident to me until later in the film. Um, but, you know, there were moments that, that really stood out that made me pay attention more. Mm-hmm. Um, that, towards the end of the film, there are a lot of uh, uh, interrogations by uh, Scheider and his people, you know, things that go uh, a little beyond what the police are supposed to be able to Protocol. do. To make, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, you start to notice there, it's like, ooh, okay, tough guys getting stuff done. And it was done well. There's one particular scene where they, uh, him and one of his buddies goes into, um, I, you know, this is how uh, confused I was the plot at times. There was, uh, I don't know whose house they went into, if it was a mafia guy or a police guy or what. Yeah. It was somebody who they, they go into his house and they threaten him and his wife uh, in their bed. Uh, but the scene was done really, really well. And uh, it's, it's one of those great movies that lets the action play. Uh, it doesn't uh, muddle everything up with dialogue. Uh, so you can just sit there and watch the scene unfold. It's a completely visual thing uh, without having constant, you know, unnecessary words being thrown over it. So yeah. Like, it, it, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. Uh, like, uh, for instance, uh, the, the the parts where they go into the car wash. I thought that was so mm, well yeah. done where they're showing like all the mechanics and everything of, of this car wash. And the first time, uh, the, this, so these guys set up this thing where the mafia guys, they get the mafia guys to go into this car wash to get the, the car wash. And then they, that's where they do an exchange or, 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 or something. So the first time they find this, uh, uh, they find out that these mafia guys have this uh, money, I guess it was in the trunk and they're able to steal it. Um, while the car is in the car wash, they break into, they lock the guys into the, into the car and then they brust into the trunk and they, they take the money and they can get away. And then the second time they, they lock, sorry, they lock them in by putting handcuffs right. on the door, door handles, handles so they, they can't exit. Which was like, I, they must've did their research ahead of time to make sure that that the car that they would have would have those type of door right. handles on the, it. The handles that are <laughs> you know close to each other. And then the guys are trying to get out the, the window. It was, it was mm-hmm. funny. Uh, but then the second time that they, they do that device, um, so this time the bad guys are waiting, I'm sorry, I'm kind of spoiling a little part here, but the bad guys are waiting until after, uh, the car goes through to, uh, to get the car into a garage across the street. And I thought it would have been way more effective if they kind of let the audience in on that a little bit, because you, you're, I'm watching all this stuff happen and I'm watching like a guy walking through and it turns out that the guy walking through is not there to steal anything he's just there to operate the the machinery mm-hmm. and i if they would have just let the audience in on a little bit what's happening there i think because I'm, I'm kind of like watching this and i'm like wow this is really well paced all these shots of the mechanics and everything of the the car wash and everything and i don't know what's going to happen next um but i if if i would have known just a little bit i think it would have made it like just that much interesting because I'm trying to figure out what's happening. You know what I mean? I'm busy trying to figure out what's happening instead of appreciating what's 
happening on the screen, if that makes any sense. Yeah, uh, like I'm going to backtrack a little bit on what I just said of how I liked how the visuals just were left unattended and you could see what's going on. Like I said, the pacing was really good for those shots. But yeah, the plot did seem a little hard to follow at points. If if you, I guess you really have to pay attention or um, maybe it just was a bit unclear because it, it took me a while to figure out, like, what, is this person in the mafia or yeah. is this person against the mafia? And uh, I, I didn't really know who the main antagonist was going to be because uh, there's one uh, person who's kind of like a double agent. Uh, and it, it's it's a bit confusing there. If you can um, put some of that aside, again, you know, the pacings, the visuals, the car chase, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, towards the end, um, the, the final... Um, what leads up to like the final shootout was basically the cat and mouse uh, part at the end. Even that was like really, really fun, mm-hmm. even though I didn't quite have all the details right. in and, my head. Yeah, see, that's what I mean. It was just like you're kind of like I was kind of obsessing on trying to understand exactly everything that was going on, and I couldn't um, just I couldn't get past it, you know, when I wanted to enjoy the movie more. You know, I yeah. wanted to like if I knew more of what was happening, I'd be able to enjoy the movie more. Um, like for instance, the guy, um, I think it's the scene right after or before, I can't remember. Anyways, the, uh, when they're at the funeral, um, and, uh, they, one of the guys is undercover. He's like, a, he's one of the chauffeurs and he's undercover. Right. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's walking outside, uh, all the chauffeurs have to wait outside the funeral home while all the mobsters are inside the funeral home and the chauffeurs are walking around and he notices, this wire that he's carrying, it's kind of like showing through his pants at the bottom. Mm-hmm. So he pretends to tie his shoe and all that. And uh, one of the mobsters that are guarding the door, one of the guards like notices that, right? And then he goes inside. Tell him. And I'm like, I'm watching all this and I'm like, but what was the plan here? How, were they, how was this guy who's outside with a mm-hmm. wire going to get the audio that they need inside. You know what I mean? Like, what was the plan here? Was it that he was going to get something while they were in the car? But he would have been up front in the car. The mobsters would have been in the back because it's a big limo. Like, it's just, it's it was stuff like that that, it, I, I don't know. I wish mm. that they would have let me know what the plan was a little bit better. You know, if it was to get audio later, if they would have let me in on that. But then again, you know, the the guys were inside the building ready to bust them as soon as they got some audio i don't know how they were going to get audio with this guy on the outside like i know yeah i mean even little things like that is by the time that scene rolled around i i didn't really remember the faces Mm -hmm. of uh scheider's crew there were there only four of them but you don't see them that much so it's like after a while he's moving around and like oh okay It's, it's basically not until um they called them in because they sense something's going on. Mm-hmm. So they call all the chauffeurs into the building. Like, yeah, you come on in here. And then the one guy's kind of reluctant. So at that point, I was like, okay, he, he's, he's part of the team. Up. Right. Because I saw the thing sticking out of his leg. And I was like, I, didn't, I wasn't quite sure what it was. It might have been it was a, like a, a shoelace. Been, yeah. It might have been like. No, a, I think it was a wire, but like I, I didn't see him get wired up. Yeah. So it was just, just some like cord that was sticking out of his pants. But right. Yeah, it, the film is not perfect. That's probably why you never heard of it compared to French Connection and Bullet. But it's still good. It's 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 going to make it into those hidden gem videos. Absolutely, know? it's one of those movies that I like. Wesley Nielsen says you're gonna I'm gonna remember only the good stuff, and I'm gonna want to see those good parts again. And I sit down and watch it again. I'm gonna forgive it for all the uh, bad stuff, 
Like, and it's not, it's not that much. Like, I mean, we are, I, we are nitpicking uh, a bit, you know, it's, it's just, it's a great movie. It's just not a perfect movie. You know, I think I, I would say it's a great movie. It's, it's still a lot of fun. If you're totally into French connection and bullet, then you'll probably enjoy this. Yeah. You know, um, if you're just kind of, if you're not really into those films and you come across this on TV and you're just watching it, yeah, you know, if you catch it at a good part, you might enjoy it. But if you catch it at one of the uh, down parts, then maybe, you know, it's not going to do much for you. Yeah, I agree. Oh. But good. I like Roy Scheider. I think uh, uh, cinematography was great. There's a lot of well-framed shots. Um, another film that would use a lot of masters and had a really uh, deep depth of field. It's like everything is in focus. Mm-hmm. looks great. I mean, this was in the seventy. Four, yeah, seventy-four. Seventy-four, okay. Seventy-four, and you know it looks better than a lot of movies that came out like a decade later. I mean, we've talked before about how uh, movies like Ghostbusters are really, really grainy, mm. you know. Yeah. And, and, but uh, this film is so crisp; everything looks great. And uh, I think the the main antagonist was probably the very first person to wear those really obnoxious thinsulate gloves with the <laughs> stupid designs on them. Yeah, that was not a good time. Those things really stuck out. Yeah. Well, maybe he wanted to stick out as the bad guy kind of thing. I guess. So you're not getting confused. Bad guys wear goofy ski gloves. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you liked it. Um, it, it was good. Yes. Yeah. You know, solid good. Okay. Uh, Anything else yeah. to say? No. No, that's it. I, no. Looks good. Sounds good. That that engine chugging was a highlight. If uh, if you do nothing oh, yeah. else, just go watch the chase scene. Uh, there's a lot of four barrels getting pushed down to the to the max, and there's some good uh, audio there. And again, mm-hmm. like I, I I say, like the reason why I love the car chases from this era is that they give. You know, they give the the cars room to breathe. You know they're they're back, mm-hmm. and you can watch the car go through the shot. You know it's not everything all up in close up, and the actors yelling at each other with stupid yeah. dialogue. Like there's no dialogue during these car chases. It's just people there, there's chasing a little each bit. Other. There's a little bit in this one, and it was done well. It's it's th- this was another high point for me. If you're gonna take away a few points for the the camera work, I'm gonna add a few points for the intelligence. There's uh, Scheider's chasing uh, the bad guys, and at one point there's a regular cop car uh, Ooh, that notices right. what's going on, yeah, yeah, and yeah. they join the chase. Yeah, um, and they are being good cops. They're not the goofy, stupid cops that can't keep up with the you know the elite, and they don't know what's going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I was afraid for a minute that they were going <laughs> to start chasing. Scheider's car and pull him over. He's gonna be like, "What are you doing? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm on the job and everything." But uh, they start following, and he picks up his radio and he calls them and he says, "Hey, I'm on the job. They shot a cop. Help me out!" Right, and right. then they join the chase, and they don't make it very far. But you know, they they did what they were supposed to do as cops. They were they were good characters, and that was the only dialogue. Yeah, Just, you're right. Hey, yeah. Me out. Yeah. Yep, that was good. And then they go across the bridge and they make it to Jersey. So Jersey was Jersey, featured. Represent Chase. Jersey. Yes, represent it was not, Jersey uh, this was a New York. And this was a New York film shot in New York. Really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Looks good. Okay. Yep. You're the host. I'm just, I'm sitting back. 
Oh, sorry there, guest. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, this is how it works in, in the biz. You know, you don't normally see these behind the scenes moments where we got to, oh. you know, edit things together. You know, <laughs> Thank you for things out. We got to check our notes. Thank you for explaining it to me. I had no idea what was yeah. happening. The secrets of the interwebs. Wow, this is amazing. Okay. This is an eye opener. Yeah. Make sure you take notes. Okay. I'm writing down right now. All right, let's move on to movie number two, John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13 from 1976. Freeze! This is the police. Drop your weapons and place your hands above your heads. On Saturday, six members of the gang known as Street Thunder were ambushed by the police. On Sunday, the warlords of Street Thunder swore a blood oath to avenge their dead. For the gang called Street Thunder, it is a day of vengeance. It's war in the streets. Oh, Jesus, come on. Come on, I'll give you my money. Just don't hurt me, please. Please. It's terror in the night. It's the most shattering assault on a police station in history. Assault on Precinct 13. This is a siege. It's a goddamn siege. Stay here and hold until somebody comes, okay? We're in the middle of a city, inside a police station. What does that mean? They're not afraid to die, any of them. They want to rip us apart, no matter what it costs. It means the death. Precinct 13. Cut off. Isolated in the middle of a city as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. We got a war going on down here. We can't find the damn thing. A white-hot night of hate. Assault on Precinct 13. Okay, their guest, I'm going to let you have the honors oh. of reading the rundown. Okay, I, I'll try not to let you down, sir. An unlikely partnership between a highway patrol officer, two criminals, and a station secretary is formed to defend a defunct Los Angeles precinct office against a siege by a bloodthirsty street gang. That's a mouthful, that sentence. Uh, that was the, pretty good. The director is John Carpenter. The runtime is one hour, 31 minutes, although it felt like a lot shorter than that. And there mm. was a crappy remake of this film in 2005. I did not know mm. that. Well, uh, you, Lawrence Fishburne and Ethan Hawke. Do you know for a fact that it's a crappy remake, or are you just assuming it's crappy? I'm assuming. Okay. Fair yes. enough. I will assume the same. I've, I've never seen it. I didn't even know. I wasn't, didn't know what it happened. It existed. Mm. So you hadn't, you hadn't known about the original or the, the nope. remake? This was my first time watching Assault on Precinct 13. Okay. Uh, well, I'm going to lay down some fun facts. You feel free to jump in and alternate with these fun facts. I don't think I have anything, but I'll, we'll see. Well, no, I mean, you can share the ones that are there. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. That's, I put them there for your benefit, guest. Gotcha. I am learning as I go here. Yeah. The station house is referred to as Precinct 9, Division 13, yet the sign above the door reads Division 14. 
What's I'm up? Jump right that? into the next one. All right. There is no Precinct 13 in the film. <laughs> oh. <laughs> At first, John Carpenter wanted to call the film the Anderson Alamo. Uh, and at one point he changed the working title to The Siege. But CKK, the film's distributor, was responsible for the misnomer. It rejected Carpenter's titles and came up with the name Assault on Precinct 13, which it felt was more ominous during, uh, more ominous sounding during post-production. That's so silly. they just wanted a, yeah, they just wanted a name that sounded Because cool. I did catch on that when they were talking about, I, I think they were on the bus on their way there. And they were like, the next mm. one is, you know, uh... What do you say, Precinct 9, Division 14? Yeah, well, at the beginning of the film, he's like, uh, what do you got for me, the the cop? He's like, where am I going? What am I doing today? He's like, oh, yeah, head over to uh, Precinct 9. Right, yeah. <laughs> Help us out. Hmm. Uh, shot in only 20 days on a budget of $100,000, John Carpenter wrote the score in three days. The MPAA threatened an X rating if the shocking ice cream scene wasn't cut. Uh, the distributor advised John Carpenter to give the MPAA a version with the scene excise, 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 like when you take off a growth or something, like an exorcist, uh, to get an R rating, and then simply disputed the original version. Com- distributed. Distribute. <laughs> I'm retiring right now. <laughs> The distributor sure going to get this job, sir. Advised John Carpenter to give the MPAA version with a scene excised to get an R rating, and then simply distribute the original version complete with the scene. The ruse worked. Interesting. So, um, yeah, there is a, a scene in this movie uh, where a little girl goes up to uh, an ice cream truck and ask for an ice cream. The ice cream guy, the guy running the truck knows what's up because there's these bad guys that are like patrolling the neighborhood. They're just looking, they're up to no good, I guess. I don't know if they thought this ice cream guy had money or something or they just didn't like him or something. Um, but yeah, she insists that she wants some ice cream. She goes up there, she gets her ice cream and then she realizes she got the wrong cone, goes back. The bad guys are there now, not the ice cream guy and they end up uh, shooting her. And she was, I don't know, like nine or ten or something. Mm. Uh, I was wondering how you felt about that, Richard. What did you? Because you know, you're a, you're a dad. Did that? Uh... Yeah, that that scene, uh, of course, stands out. Yeah. And uh, when I first saw it, that was like, you know, eyes wide. Wow, did they just do that? Yeah. And did they just show that? Um, it it's a scene that really shook me uh, the first time I saw it. And it, it made me realize why any type of violence, you know, we, we watch a lot of violent movies and everything, but it's it's usually adults and, and uh, you know, people who deserve yeah. uh, to, to, to get, you know, when you see something done like that. Yeah. Or it's done in, in such a, you know, it's when it's done in a graphic way, you don't show graphic violence towards children or like the completely innocent without like some really uh, with a lot of thought behind it. You know, you got to do this stuff carefully. Um, I I don't think it should have been shown as graphically uh, because there's a, she's got a pretty large squib mm-hmm. uh, uh, strapped to her. Yeah. Uh, and character who is completely innocent, who really didn't have to be in that situation at all. They could have had any situation happen to trigger to act as the catalyst to trigger the events later on in the film. Mm. Um, I, 
it shook me at first. Uh, in subsequent viewings, I can I know it's coming, so it's a little easier to digest. It's still kind of a hard scene. Um, I, I think they could have done it differently. They, they could have had anything happen there. Even John Carpenter said he kind of regrets doing that. Uh, but it was just a, a symbol of his, you know, young filmmaking. Just uh, let me tr- see what I can get away with. Yeah, I, I think that it uh, was very effective. It made you feel for the father who lost his daughter. And now it, it doesn't. It doesn't like the first time. I think I felt more like that, but his character kind of disappears. Yeah. Uh, once he gets to the station. Um, so again, it, it could have been something else. When he gets to the station and he, he's nothing but really, but a lump. And there's that discussion yeah. that the rest of the group have where they're like, maybe we should just hand him over to the bad guys and get us out of this yeah. situation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that earlier scene happening, if I would have felt as much as saying, Oh no! Don't do that because he's really a good guy. He's just messed up right now because he just had his, you know, his life, you know, just flipped right upside down, you know. He's, mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know if I would have felt as much if it was I don't know maybe his wife or something or if they found some other way to do it uh, to progress that character's mm-hmm. story. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it has it has a lasting effect throughout the entire movie, which. I think it's necessary because he does turn into a turnip, you know, like there's really nothing <laughs> yeah. much left to, to him. You forget the... he's there, you know, yes. after all, because he's basically just covered with a blanket and you don't see him. Cause I was keeping track, right. Of all, all like, okay, who's all left. Cause people are dying left, right and center. Who's all left. And then they were, okay, we need to get down in the basement. And they're like carrying him down in the basement. I'm like, Oh yeah, I forgot that guy was there. <laughs> Mr. Turnip is here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, I ended up really enjoying this movie. I I had never heard really? of it. Yeah, I really liked I, it. I'm kind of shocked. I expected you to not like it as much. I like um I, I I appreciate the pacing and the tone of the film. Yeah. More the acting is atrocious at times. At times the acting is really mm-hmm. bad except for the the you got a smoke guy. The, that guy was was really good, I thought. Oh no, he was one of the uh the harder ones to watch. Really? I liked him. I thought... Like, yeah. He he doesn't... He has... You can tell he doesn't have a lot of experience in front of the camera. I don't know if that was his first film or whatever. I thought uh, the main character, Bishop, he, he was a lot more entertaining. He was good. Um, yeah. So, some of the other characters... Yeah. Again, this is like an early John Carpenter film. He probably just got a lot of people who had little to no experience uh, in there. Like the uh, secretary has kind of a deadpan uh lee uh she has like a deadpan throughout the entire thing and sometimes it works so it really works for her characters other times it's just she looks like um you know somebody who's just thrown on a film set it's like here go read these lines um but yeah the 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 acting is up and down yeah it's not the greatest but it's got a it's got a really simple premise to it you know just mm-hmm. these guys that are stuck in this precinct the bad guys are trying to come in to, to get to him and i just i really appreciate like how uh they found um i don't know just like simple ways to keep you entertained throughout the the whole movie um you know like it would have been very expensive to have a ton of bullets and guns flying everywhere so what do they do they give them you know they don't have any ammunition left kind of thing so mm-hmm. they got to think of other ways to do it um, I, I will say like, it didn't make any sense to have the exit to the sewer in the basement, right beside the, the jail cells. 
like that. That seems like a, like a really easy <laughs> yeah. way to escape. Um, that's why that's why they were shutting down that precinct. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they realized the flaw. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, I overall I, I I enjoyed it. Uh, if you can look past the acting, I think this is a, a really fun fun movie. Uh, it is fun. Uh, I'd say it's more fun than it is good. Uh, in 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 that, not all of the uh, areas are fleshed out. Like I said, the tone, the pacing, uh, is what I really enjoy about this film. The second half, you know, the first thirty minutes or so, a it's a lot of it's slow, and it introduces so many different characters and so many different areas, and then eventually they all converge uh, on this one point. And my only issue there, because I think I've seen this like three times now, is that. Um, some of the characters they build up, like the father and daughter, the, their whole backstory doesn't have a whole lot of uh, in, impact on the the actual plot. I, again, so I think, them, I think again, it was all just to make you feel bad for the turnip. I mean, he was he, they had to give you some reason. Why would he put his daughter in that kind of danger? He knows right. that this neighborhood is really bad. Uh, why would you allow her to go and get ice cream and all that? Okay, he's lost. He's actually trying to look for his mother, I think, or mother-in-law. He's, they're trying to get, yeah, that's where, like, again, it's like their story goes deeper than it kind of needs to be, where it's her, like, her nanny, who is, is suddenly divorced or something, and they're trying to get her to come live with them. Right. Yeah, to like get her out of the neighborhood. So yeah, you see good intentions and all that. That's 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 what I think. They just wanted to make these, make him as as good as possible, right? As faultless well, as possible. Well, one thing, it another thing is uh, one thing John Carpenter said about making movies, uh, especially making low budget movies, is to get the most out of every scene. You know, let the scene play and really just get as much story and character as you can, so that kind of pads out your film a little bit more. Mm. So a lot of those scenes might have gone on what I think is a little too long because of that style. It's just, look, we don't have a lot of money. We've already got the camera rolling. Just <laughs> right, give yeah. me a little more. Sure, yeah. But yeah, I I was unsure if you were going to like this because when I first saw it, I thought, wow, that was really fun. Going back to it, um, I was like, oh, okay, you know, some of these parts are a little slow. Some of it's a little broken. I don't know if he's going to pick this apart. But I had faith in the the second half of the movie where, you know, the, they're, in, they're all in there and then the gang starts to attack. And I thought the, the pacing and, and uh, the, the dialogue between the characters, there's like that little bit of tension of like, you know, maybe we should run, maybe we should hold. You know, we got the prisoners in the cell. What do we do with them? When do we let them out? You know, they're still prisoners and all of that back and forth, it really reminded me of, in a way, of like old Twilight Zone episodes mm-hmm. where some sort of struggle, something's going on, and people have to talk it over and make their decisions. And, you know, usually you're limited to that one location. Uh, you know, how do we make the most of this situation? And it was effective. Yeah, and I liked uh, the cops, the two cops mixed into uh, the scenes as well. They're the the guys who are patrolling the neighborhood. They're in this city. These people are shooting mm. guns. They shoot silencers for for the first bit, and then when uh, our heroes shoot back, they don't have silencers. So it's like, how do people not hear the gunshots? They're getting these vague reports of shun- gunshots in the neighborhood. They can't pin them down. 
there's no uh, power in this precinct because it is being shut down. The, the power company, I guess, shut it down early. Or I'm not sure if the bad guys took care of the power. That was it. The the yeah, it was kind of well. They find the guy later oh, on. Right. So the, that's what the, yeah, the gang the did take care of the the power guy. Right. But I, be, I I think it was the gang shut off the power. The power company went to investigate, investigate and then the gang shut off the the power shut guy. Shut off the power guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I liked all that stuff because as the cops were going around, they're trying to find neighbor. They're trying to get a chopper to come in to help them out. All the choppers are yeah. Out. You you can see again. This is just like the cops in the last film. When you have the cops actually doing their job, yeah, they're not they're not failing because of stupidity. They're failing because of other obstacles that are out of their control. And you like they're like, oh, should we go down this street? Ah, nothing happens down that street. And you're like, no, go down that street. That's where everything's happening. You know, I, I, mm. I thought that was that was pretty good. It was well done. Yeah, and eventually they do get there. Yeah. You know, and still it's like they're doing what they can, but they don't see anything happening. Right. Uh, they made a point of mentioning that the the gang, who who basically are zombies uh, in in this film, they're, yeah, they're much. voiceless, faceless. Um, he said that. Uh, the film is based off of uh, Rio Bravo. It was like a Western where right. um, a couple of people are holed up in one location and Night of the Living Dead, right. you know, like a zombie attack. So I definitely felt that he, vibe. So, yeah, I, I, I would put this right behind, uh, maybe a distant behind, but uh, behind Shaun of the Dead as being the best zombie movies <laughs> like I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I would take that. So sure. the gang members, after a shootout, they went in and they removed all the bodies from the street. Yeah. So people walking by or driving by just wouldn't notice anything, uh, which I also think is just a cheap filmmaking technique because they said they put the cars back where they were. Right. <laughs> so they just jumped to old footage <laughs> of the cars there. Yeah. But, uh, you know, a little bit of thought into why people wouldn't be stumbling across uh, was made there. Yeah. Uh. But I, yeah, no, I did enjoy it. I would say this is my, I guess now my f- second favorite uh, John Carpenter film after The Thing. I, I yep. think The Thing was, uh, The Thing is way better than this one. But this was still a good, good movie. Just, just get loses points for that acting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I now have two John Carpenter movies that I really enjoy. Yeah, I, I have, I have three. What would be your third? Uh, uh, the Thing is number one. This yeah. is number two, and then They Live. Uh, I, I do enjoy They Live. Can, it's got some, it's broken in parts, but it also has some excellent parts. I'm saying nothing. I'm staying out of it. I like everything. I like everything. I enjoy it. I, I love the concept of the glasses. And because the, I just, obey. you know what? I went on for 20 minutes about how much I like this movie. Nobody's going to care about that. All I'm going to get comments is, oh, you don't like They Live? Yep. And that, that, that's them on the. No, they wouldn't attack a guest. <sighs> that's true. Oh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and also uh, Apollo Creed's trainer uh, is in here. He plays one of the. Oh, uh, is that was that who that was? Inmates. The yeah, he the other the other black guy that uh, he was uh, the bald the, one. one of the prisoners oh. in uh, with uh, Napoleon Napoleon Wilson. Napoleon Wilson, that's a good name. name. Yeah. yeah. So they were they were locked up for uh, you know most of the movie, but then they get let out for what I think is a really great shootout. I love the scene when they they uh, finally get out, and then um, uh, Bishop tosses the shotgun to Napoleon Wilson. And yeah. He gets off like down, 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 like three or four shots. Yeah, and then they're just shooting at windows for <laughs> for the next five minutes. Yes, you know that guy, that Napoleon Wilson guy was uh, 
like John Carpenter's neighbor or something like that. And they would just come over and chat. And he's like, you know, I really like your sense of humor. I'm going to put you in my movie. I'm going to create a uh, something for like you. that. Yeah. That's, that's crazy how the stuff happens. I think um, uh, the main guy too, Bishop, he, he was like, uh, he lived near John Carpenter. So he's just, really? you know, local people just, Hey, come be in my movie. I got a hundred thousand dollars here. Yeah. And it worked. It's a good movie. I enjoyed it. I even liked the uh, the score. His very simple yes. John Carpenter score. I I loved it. Dun, I th- dun, dun. When that theme came dun, on, dun, 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 dun. yeah, it was good. I I like that. It was good. Yeah, it was he wrote, apparently he what did he, did you write that down here? I saw I saw something too. He, wrote, he wrote it, it in it. three days. Yeah. yeah, like well, he does all his own music because that was like yeah. his other passion. He liked making music and movies, so. He, he did all that stuff. And you can see his films have like a kind of cheap, unpolished tone to them. But at the same time, you can see the quality there. Yeah. Like, like there is something going on. He, he's able to strike a chord because a lot of people love that Halloween movie. You know, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of it, but he, he does connect with people with a lot of his movies. I guess a lot of his earlier movies, his later stuff. It's rock and roll, baby. Well, but. It's rock and roll. Yeah, That's what he, rock and he's a rock and roll filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, you can have like the most precise uh, uh, musicians on stage that are playing everything perfect and all that. But if they don't have that swing, if they don't have that vibe, and even if they mm. make a mistake, they're able to keep going. It's just, it's not rock and roll. So. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, some of the, the, the bumps in this film were just uh, John Carpenter's brown face. And now he's, <laughs> he's rolling past, you know? Now I have Look to send you. Done. Now I have to send you the audio to make sure you get, <laughs> everyone gets a reference. All right. I even like the, uh, the ending where they hole up in the back and he's like, mm-hmm. hey, let's put the, uh, and he's like, well, what's your plan? Well, I'm going to put this tank here and I got three shots. I'm going to shoot it and it'll blow everybody up. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Make sense. You're going to blow us up too. Well, <laughs> that's the way it's got to be. We got a sign. Yeah. That's good. That uh, was fun. It's a fun movie. Yep. And uh, I'll mention it again for anyone who's interested. It is uploaded several times over on YouTube in good quality. Yeah. So uh, you can go ahead and watch it. Hour and a half. Okay. Where to now, host? Uh, we are going to wrap things up with the taking of Pelham 123 from 1974. Put your Walter Matthau hats on. Mm. 1.23 p.m. A crowded subway train starts its run from Pelham Station in the Bronx. 1.45 p.m. Four desperate, heavily armed men seize control of the train. Open the door or I'll blow your head off. Taking 17 people as hostages. Your attention, please. Now then, you'll all remain seated. Anybody who tries to rise is going to get shot. I do hope I have made myself understood. 2.13 p.m. The city of New York is given one hour to come up with a million-dollar ransom. You're out of your skull. And all units stand by on a double. What's up, Z? The train's been hijacked. Millions have read it. Now you can live it. The taking of Pelham. One, two, three. There is no way you can get away with this. You are underground in a tunnel. At precisely 3.13, we are going to begin executing the hostages. Let's go! Nothing will happen as long as you obey my orders. New York City is held powerless in the grip of four ruthless men. 
from the mayor's office. Don't tell me I don't want to know. To police headquarters. I've got about 50 men inside the tunnel, all wearing vests and armed with machine and submachine guns. We could fight the Third World War down there. To the nerve center of the world's busiest subway system. My only priority is saving the lives of these passengers. Maybe an hour isn't enough time. An hour is plenty of time. We agree to pay the ransom. Repeat, we agreed to pay you the money, now turn your clock off. The money has to be counted, stacked, tied, transported uptown. It just isn't physically possible. You'd be surprised what's physically possible. Tell them one, two, three's in motion. This girl be driving a train! How long does it take to get all that money together anyway? Just not gonna make it. Never make it. The passengers are dead ducks. What the hell do they expect for their lousy 35 cents to live forever? Walter Matthau, Robert Shaw. <laughs> the most spectacular hijack in history. The taking of Pelham. One, two, three. Walter that was Matho. the trailer. Walter Matthau has a hat? Oh yeah, you, you're Walter Matthau hats. Okay. Like I love Walter Matthau. <laughs> it's probably him from The Odd Couple, but still has his face. Let's see. M M A W M A. Make Walter Matthau. No, I Great forgot again. a G in there. <laughs> Chad G. Great again. All right. Um, May okay. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Uh, in New York, armed men hijack a subway car and demand a ransom for the passengers. Even if it's paid, how could they get away? This seems more like a, a tagline yes, poster. it does. That's a very thin rundown. <laughs> but hey, it's a simple plot. It is. Uh, director was Joseph Sargent, who has 92 directing credits to his name, including... Jaws the Revenge. He also directed White Lightning, starring Burt Reynolds, prior White to this Lightning. movie. Yes. White Lightning. Does it is, involve a car? Of course. It involves a, uh, <laughs> sh- uh, an old uh, Ford uh, 500 special jumping over mm-hmm. a lake uh, or a river, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, and it was also the first movie in the Gator series. Was, Gator? That's right. Where Burt Reynolds plays a character named Gator. So White Lightning's the first one. The second movie's called Gator. And the first movie's directed by Joseph Sargent. It's called gotcha. White Lightning. Yeah, he did uh, mostly uh television directing. I think everything. Yeah, a lot of TV. Yeah, tons, tons and tons of TV. But did a good job here. Mm. Uh runtime, hour and forty four minutes, and there were two crappy remakes. Wow. One in nineteen ninety eight. TV movie starring uh, Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm, and, I like him. Uh, and Donnie Wahlberg, not Marky Mark, yeah. the, the new kids on the block. Okay. One. Uh, yeah. Sergeant Lipton. That's fine. And there was another crappy remake in 2009 uh, with um, Travolta. Travolta and Denzel Washington. Denzel, right. Yep. Haven't seen it. And that. I will add that I, after watching this movie, I watched at least five to ten minutes of each of those earlier ones and they're crappy remakes (laughs) okay fair enough i i mostly i'm commenting on the editing and and the lighting it's terrible 10 minutes the 2000 
2009 version it starts like it's it's just the opening credits but it's it's all of that whip pan slow strobe effect jump cut snap zoom cameras constantly in motion and need to things are slowing down things are speeding up it's like oh my god you need to be constantly reminded that you're watching a movie yeah and the the 1998 one is the same thing it's mm. you know made for tv but it's like it's like all dutch angles of of trains going by high speed and blown out lighting and it's like oh god i'm just looking at nothing and and look at the original it's just these beautiful shots well framed character development um little spoiler i like this movie <laughs> awesome <laughs> i knew you would. i like this movie a lot <laughs> I knew you uh, this film was based on the best-selling novel of the same name by John Gotti, published in 1973. And isn't that a fast turnaround? Mm. Published in 73, and they got a movie in 74. Yeah. I, I don't know Crazy. if he wrote it like with an intent of making it into a film, because that does happen sometimes. But it, it, there must have been something going on, because I was reading about how they had how much they sold the, the paperback rights for and everything and all this. And it just seemed like everything was in motion of, mm. of you know, yeah. you're writing this book. Okay. We're going to make this movie and we're going to generally that didn't... happens with a big name author like Stephen King. It, yeah. I guess you know? uh, I'm not familiar with John Gotti, but me neither. Uh, John Gotti. He <laughs> said like the God, like the, the, the mafia. Yeah, I know that John Gotti. Yeah. But, not uh, the other John Gotti. John Gotti. Uh, the transit authority. T.A. of New York, at first refused to allow the film to be shot on the actual New York subway. They feared it might actually give someone the idea to commit such a crime. The T.A. finally did cooperate with Mayor John V. Lindsay inter- after Mayor John Lee uh, Lin- v- I can't do this anymore. <laughs> the, I, I'm a, only a guest. I'm not a host. The T.A. finally did cooperate after Mayor John V. Lindsay intervened, but it was required but it required New York. Oh, I don't want to do this anymore. But it it requ- required United artists to buy anti-hijacking insurance at a cost of $75,000. Crazy. In addition to paying $275,000 for the use of the subway. I knew this one. The TA also insisted that no graffiti appear in the film. They said to show graffiti would be to glorify it. Yeah, I didn't notice that until uh, I, I read this afterwards, but it did seem awfully clean. It was on the uh, special effects, or special features, uh, on the, the Blu-ray, uh, where they talked about that. Because uh, apparently uh, the subway in the 70s in New York was uh, not a fun place Nasty. to be. Yeah, it was not a fun <laughs> place to be. Like, they were talking like there would be feces everywhere, and you know it just they were understaffed like to to keep up with the cleaning and all that stuff yeah that that's the one part where this film uh breaks away from reality because uh of course i never rode the train in the 70s but i did ride uh, the subway uh, at times in the 80s and 90s and still it wasn't the uh the cleanest place yeah. there's always that overpowering stench of urine everywhere now, and uh, I, I think in the movie, the worst thing you see is a, a drunk lady sleeping right. <laughs> on the train. <laughs> now, apparently, uh, the when the camera would be above ground, that was like legit New York from the 70s. It was very, it gets credit as being Yeah, authentic. some of the entrances had a little graffiti on them, if right. I remember. Yeah. It was a little dingy. 
Uh, where are we? For several years after the film was released, the New York City Transit Authority would not schedule any train to leave Pelham Bay Park Station at 123. Uh, although this policy was eventually rescinded, dispatchers have generally avoided scheduling a Pelham train at 123 p.m. or a.m. Crazy. Yeah, I guess we should explain the title a little bit. So the title is The Taking of Pelham 123 when uh, subway cars would leave the station uh, they would be assigned a name according to the time that they left the station. So Right, the location and the Right, the time. location and the time, right. So the subway car was named Pelham 123 because it left the station at 123 and it left Pelham Station at 123. So that's how it got. And then on the return, it has a different name right. because it takes on the station and time. Which but. makes sense. If you're trying to keep organized, all these trains going all over the place organized, you want to know where it came from and what time. It came right, so this would be the the name that's attributed by basically the people on the inside, right? Who are tracking all the trains? Yes, you know, not necessarily the people who are. You're not waiting for train Pelham one two three, right? You know that that's just the insider code. Um, the oh. aliases of the four train hijackers were Mr. Blue, Mr. Green, Mr. Gray, and Mr. Brown. The color of the hats worn by each of the four villains. Gray, green, blue, brown corresponded to their code names, which, of course, I did not notice. I didn't notice that either, actually. Uh, and I know that you're colorblind, so you have an excuse. I don't have any excuse. I just never noticed it. That's what put this... Uh, it, it just dawned on me. That's what put this movie on my radar back in the day, because I did watch it in the 90s, and there was... Uh, it was because Quentin Tarantino for Reservoir Dogs took that mm-hmm. idea of naming the villains after uh, these colors. He took it from this film. So that's mm-hmm. what me, uh, my buddy and I, Frank, that's what put this film on our radar and why we wanted to watch it. And we ended up mm-hmm. uh, watching it. So, yeah, there you go. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patrol car that carries the money is a 1972 Plymouth Fury 3. Sorry, I didn't get a picture of that one yeah, for you. I'm very disappointed. Um, the Japanese title for this movie is Subway Panic. It took me a while to realize that, because when I look things up on IMDb, uh, the internet automatically swaps titles. So any of those things that are highlighted in oh, blue, yeah. it automatically swaps it, or it'll put it, it'll put the Japanese title, but written with, um, w- with English letters, and put it at, like, Japanese pronunciation. And sometimes, oh. like... It, it's not clear. Like this one, it just wrote Subway Panic. So I was looking all over the place. Like, why is it called Subway Panic? Why Why is, you know, where's the title? And eventually it just dawned on me. Okay, that's got to be the Japanese title. Looked it up and sure enough. Uh, budget for this movie was $3.8 million. Mm. So rich. Money. Yes, oh. that's a lot of money. It was. Compared to the other two. Yeah, I, 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 I remember watching this. We rented it back in the day because of that reason. I remember really liking it, um, and then it came up on Blu-ray. It was on my Blu-ray list. Came up cheap. Ended up buying it again to watch it again, and I'm like, "Wow, this movie is even better than what I remembered." I remember liking it back then, but this is this is an excellent film, and I really wanted Richard to watch it, and that's the reason why we're doing this episode. Um, mm-hmm. I asked a guest on the show just to get him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Richard, I, I you already uh, tipped your hand a little bit. You you enjoyed it. You liked it. Not only did I enjoy it, I would say this is probably within the top three suggestions 
that you have put forth on this show so far. Uh, We need some sort of award statue to to give to these films, Um, like like the Golden Boner or something. (laughs) The Golden Boner. Uh, This is a great movie. I really enjoyed this. It's perfect across the board. I'm sure if I watch it uh, again, maybe I'll find some little nitpicky thing, but I was just uh, enjoying it beginning to end. Um, well shot, well acted, extremely well executed with so many different uh, characters all over the place. There's a lot of uh, uh, communications traffic going on in this film. You got the, the dispatchers, you got the people in the police department, you got uh, everybody's talking on, on uh, radios and walkie talkies and everything. You got people in the tunnels, you got people on the train. Um, there, there's mystery of like, who's in there, what's going on, why are they doing this? And everybody who is doing their job and doing their job intelligently. Um, and, and the most shocking thing of all is that as, as serious as everything goes and, and as well played as it is, it's also hysterically funny. Like almost every line of dialogue is, is, um, done and you can take it in a serious way. But you could also see the ridiculous nature of it where people are kind of goofing around. And just the the attitude of all the characters, uh, it feels real. Like, uh, you know, there's something serious happening, but they don't really know if it's serious at first. And people are joking around about it. So glad you picked up on that. Yes. Even the people on the subway, when they start pulling out guns... Um, there's like, they're laughing at them yeah. right away. Like, what, what are you doing? Like, and then there's kids in there. Like, is that a real gun? Who like, would kidnap you know, a, on? a subway yeah. train, a subway car? There's no money in this. There's nothing on here. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's a great balance. Uh, we're jumping all over the place, but there's a great balance between the, the, uh, ki- the hijackers and the hostages where the head hijacker, Mr. Gray is intelligent and threatening but he is also respectful and he he has a plan and he doesn't want to deviate from his plan so he's not you know just wild man running around screaming he's very controlled and there are plenty of times throughout the the hostage crisis where even though they know he's serious even though he has fired a weapon um there's still like back and forth dialogue between the the hostages and the hijackers of like, you you want to tell us how much ransom money you're getting for us and all that and yeah, there's a lot of New York. It, it just in this movie. there's a lot of New York. Yeah, a, a lot of New York. In fact, if you watch the credits, the the hostages their their names are just listed as the mother, the hooker, the <laughs> the pimp. You yeah. know, right? So it's just all that New York color. Um, yeah, the, I I really enjoyed like every part of this movie. Um, nobody seemed out of place. Even the one scene early on where Walter Matthau, who is uh, transit police security, yeah, yeah exactly the, it, what his title was. The the transit in New York has their own police department because the mm-hmm. New York City police can't keep up with it all, right? So they have their right. own division kind of thing that just mm-hmm. deals on only the transit right so that that's almost like their jurisdiction role, right? he, he worked within like he didn't work with the trains he worked with the security team right that was his thing that's why he was always 
having odds with that one other character. He's like, I go yes. play with your trains. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um, basically, at the beginning, he is tasked with showing around these four representatives from the subway Tokyo right. system. Uh, uh, the Tokyo subway system, sorry. Uh, and basically, he's walking them around. And at first, I couldn't see the point of the scene. But then it dawned on me, like, oh, this is all exposition. Right. It, it, so, like, he's he's taking us on the tour and we're explaining the how this, We're getting everything exactly. explained to us. He's explaining the system. Um, he's showing, you know, this is the control room. This is the map. Th- these are these important people that we're going to see later in the story. And the great thing about how they did it is <clears throat> the Japanese uh, tourists, they don't speak English, or at least <laughs> they let on. Spoiler. So there's no need for dialogue. There's no need for unnecessary dialogue. He can just explain everything, and you understand why he's saying it, and you're absorbing the information, and there's no uh, back and forth that distracts from what's going on until there there needs to be. And it was just really well done. And the entire time he's taking them around, he's also being funny. He's joking around. You're seeing his character. There's a bit of racism in there as well. Um, but, it's the uh, 70s, man. It's Walter it, Matthau in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's the way that everything was was planned out. It, well, it's just so smooth. Just yeah. to mention the race, I like how it, it plays out like an Archie Bunker bit where he's left with egg on his face at the end yeah. where he realizes that they can actually speak English and understand everything that he had been saying up until that point. So, um, which, uh, from, from a, uh, realistic point of view, there's no way they would have, uh, not shown off their English ability. It Just, is uh, still a movie. You gotta have some, it is still a movie. You know, yes. You've got to have okay. some, you gotta go with it a little bit. Uh, yeah. I'm so glad that you picked up on like the people, because uh, I, 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 the people like catching on to what's happening, like not mm-hmm. sure how serious it is. Because I feel like as if this movie is kind of like a ripple, like it has like this ripple effect where the people, the guys who are uh, kidnapping everybody on the train or stealing, hijacking, that's the word, hijacking the subway car, uh, they start this ripple effect, right? And it's like the people in the car clue into what's going on and they get it. And then the people... Mm-hmm. On the immediate outside, like that cop that's kind of hiding around, he catches into it. And everyone, like, it, it's like a slow-moving process because they're all communicating through radios. They don't have cameras mm-hmm. everywhere. They can't see what's going on. So they're all slowly catching on to it. So as one character, like Walter Matthau, understands what's going on and starts taking the situation serious, now he has to convince... Uh, you know, Jerry Stiller and the other characters like, hey, this is serious. Mm-hmm. And then they catch on and then it keeps just keeps moving on and on. It's just like a ripple effect until then they got to, you know, the, the, the higher ups who are above ground. They got to convince them that something serious mm-hmm. is going on. I just thought, yeah, I and just it makes think that's great. That was just a great way to take that normal, slow moving pace from the beginning of a movie and just keep you invested in it. Like it just it, it's it's. You know, because you as a viewer, you're in on it right away. So you know mm-hmm. how serious it is. So you want, like, the people to catch on, like, you know, start taking this seriously faster than they do in the movie. And I thought, that, I just yeah. think that's great. It, it makes perfect sense, too, of, of, of why that. And, that you know, that's a key point later on in the movie is, um, you know, because they, they clue into the fact. is like, well, how do they know what's going on up here? They, right. You know, you can't know what's. And then, you know, that that's a great moment. Um but that sort of ripple effect is completely gone from the remake. 
Uh, it's what I noticed within the first. <laughs> think about how long. I mean, stuff happens like uh, in this movie, like right from the beginning. You see the the hijackers getting on the train and you kind of tell something is up and mm -hmm. they're acting kind of weird. And you can see stuff happening. But w with that remake, uh, you just see the same thing. But the way it's shot is this is a bad guy. This is a bad guy. This is a bad guy. They're going to do something wrong. And within like the first 10 minutes, all of that is gone. It's like he's on the radio saying, we've got your train and everybody understands it clearly. It was like, Oh, this is a big hijacking situation. Mm. Um, it, it's all gone with uh, the original. It's just like, it's, it's so organic of just, yeah. this is happening. Do we take it seriously? Like well, what's see, going the, on? This and, is, this is the part too, is that everybody, I just love this element of this movie. Every, all these characters take their job so seriously, you know, mm -hmm. like they are, and it's and that's why they can't believe what's happening at first. They don't believe it because it's like, no, we're too good at our jobs for something mm -hmm. like this to happen, you know. Especially that one, the one captain guy that goes down and like he's even yelling at the train. Like he's convinced that this is all like a joke, right? Like you guys are goofing off. You're thinking like I got to get trains mm -hmm. moving. I can't be dealing with your mm -hmm. until he gets shot. Spoiler alert! Yeah, until he gets the, shot, he, he was <laughs> one of the best characters. The supervisor, yeah, just walking around yelling at everybody yeah. the whole time. And, and you can see like everybody else is like that's why they're so slow to catch on because they're so into what they're doing, into their jobs, mm -hmm. and it's a well-oiled machine in how it runs, you know. And they just can't believe that that, that what happens happened, you know. Yeah, and if you if you go back. You know, you realize just how desensitized we have become to these scenarios, like as because we've seen so many movies where all these ridiculous things happen. If you take it, you know, just how often does a subway car get hijacked? If someone told you, hey, they're hijacking a subway, what would your reaction be? Yeah, so like it's... if you're you go to work tomorrow and someone says, oh, somebody uh, hijacked the, the reception desk out front. Like, <laughs> what are you what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and then it slowly dawns on you, like, oh, this is actually happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, 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 I got it. Like Walter Matthau's fantastic in this movie. Uh, just like it just can play that that role seriously and funny at the same time. Just pull off both mm -hmm. at the same time. Um, it's just great. I love it. Yeah, and it. I'm not going to be able to pull out too many specific examples, but. The writing in this yeah. film was great. The lines of dialogue were crafted so well that, again, it, they take the serious and the comedic approach. Um, like Walter Matthau saying, go play with your trains is, is one of the lines <laughs> yeah. that sticks out most. Um, but um, there's another one, like when they get the million dollars in, in the cop car. He's like, the one cop reacts to it. They hands him this one bag. He's like, this is a million dollars? Yeah. And the other guy says something like... Um, it's what it buys, not what it weighs. Right. It's just like great <laughs> lines. A, yeah, those New York, it's just that New York attitude uh, for, mm. for, for all the characters. Again, like this is like Ghostbusters where New York is the other character in the movie, right? Because this is a mm. movie that wouldn't work in any other city. You need a subway, maybe Chicago, maybe, uh, but you need a subway at least and all these uh, levels of um, uh, uh, 
government, not government, well, like authority and all that, you know, because they got to go all through all the different jurisdictions. Yeah, you got because it uh, goes the all the way. People, right. you got the, uh, the 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 transit cops, you got the the real cops, you got the mayor and all the politicians. Yeah, eventually, the mayor that was a great to... scene too when yeah. they when they get the mayor and his like guys together and taking a vote on what to do. Yeah, they pay the ransom and, or not. And it, it still rings true today. You know, like the yeah. mayor is more concerned about his votes and all that stuff. He doesn't, he's mm-hmm. not really concerned about the people on the train. It's like, wow, that is still rings true today. You know? Think about what it gets you. Yeah. 18 sure votes. Yes. <laughs> That's what motivates him to do it. it yeah. It's well-written. You know, there's just, there's no, it's the, per, it's a perfect movie in my book. It is. It yeah. is really, really good. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much more of this, but it's definitely just, not it's going to spoil well the ending. Martin Balsam, by the way, is oh, fantastic yeah. in this movie. Uh, very underrated actor. It's sad that he ended up as a stooge in one of the Death Wish movies. Um, even though you know I like that movie, um, but you know like he's a great, great actor, and he's, he's hey, he was in Psycho. He was in Psycho. This is correct. Yeah. I'm not saying like he, he ha- like he hasn't done other good work. I'm just saying like. He's he's not like a household name. Like he I think didn't. He, yeah, he didn't get the recognition. Yeah, that he and this was like that. one of his best roles. Um, Robert yeah, Shaw there, was well, good in this. Robert I, Shaw. Everyone yeah. only remembers and him from was, Jaws, and this was pre-Jaws. You know, this is one of those rare movies where it's like when the you know the the first couple of names come up, it's like, oh, I know that guy. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Oh, I know that guy. Yeah, I know him. And they're all all really well done. Uh, but then even then you get like guys like uh, Jerry Stiller who's yeah. just in there. Like, yeah. hey, <laughs> I have to accept you as someone other than George Costanza's father, but, <laughs> or but the, I do. Or the guy from King of Queens. Uh, true. What yeah. was his name? <clears throat> in King I of Queens? Was kind it? of the same character. He was. It was the exact same character. But he was good in this. It was good. Mm. Yeah, and um, I forget the actor's name, but the other guy with the glasses who was uh, working with Malter Matho there, mm-hmm. who uh, they're they're kind of at odds at times, yeah. but also friendly, um, did a great job too. And just people, it, it it's hard to say that the film was so well written, but at the same time, also say a lot of the characters just walk around yelling and cursing at each other at the same time. Yeah, but, but I don't know. It, it's like a it. it, it it works. You they're, know, ye- it's... they're yelling to each other. They're not yelling at each other. They're yelling yes. to each other in the New York way. They're busting each other's chops. That's what they do. That's, that's but they get the job tell. done in the end, right? You're not yelling you can at... tell that they're friendly. Yes. You know, they have a connection there. Right. And also, none of the characters are presented. This is not a problem in the 70s. It's a problem that came up more in the 90s and further on, is when your characters are presented as being cool. Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they make that the first thing. Watch the first couple of minutes of the Pelham remake, and it's like Travolta's character is cool. His henchmen, Mr. Gray, Mr. Blue, they're all cool. And that's what throws it off. And then when they start yelling at each other and screaming and cursing, it's just, oh, it's a mess. Yeah. It's, it's banter. Terrible. It's banter what the, the original movie has. That's, <clears throat> that's yeah. what it is. You know, it's like they're, yeah, they're busting each other's chops, but they, they re- kind of respect each other. You know, like it's, yeah. Yeah, you can see, again, going back to they take their jobs seriously. They're good at what they do. They know what they're talking about. Yeah. They have the experience, they have the intelligence, and that carries through. And you see that as part of their character. Yeah. So when they get upset, they're upset. You can, there's a justifiable limit to, you know, 
when they can go off the you know blow their tops like that and they're they're ready to lay the blame on the other person like the reason why the train isn't moving the further convinced that it's human error the at the at, you know the reason why this train isn't moving they're all blaming the conductor he's like i'm gonna bust his ass like this because we're all good at our jobs we don't put up with any sort of incompetence like this there's a procedure if this guy had some sort of technical malfunction with his train there's a procedure that he's supposed to follow in order to get the train back on track as fast as possible and he's not following that you know and they're all upset with this guy and, and the poor guy is freaking i think he was dead at that point or he's at gunpoint <laughs> at least you know but it's you know i don't know it just it it just it's weird to say, but it, there's a charm to all that. You know, there's a charm to all these characters, a charm to these people who are going through this serious situation. Uh, people are dying, you know, but. It's well, they're what, very relatable. Yeah. And you can see they are behaving the way that normal people behave. Yeah. They don't become superheroes and, you know, just suddenly have the epic yeah, like, showdown with the. Uh, or a person you know, shooting the at them and they just roll around and, oh, you can't shoot me and. You know, shoot back. Yeah. There's no, there's, there's no real. There's shoot. not a lot of heroics. There's no, no shootouts there's, in this movie. There's people that there get are shot. Some shooting, yeah. yeah. But there's no like uh, good guys versus bad guys. I'm hoping that that's not a spoiler because, I mean, you got you got to watch this to the end. I don't want to spoil the end for anyone. Just go watch this movie because the, the yeah. end is so good. Oh, the too. ending was great. Yeah, the final shot, the yeah. final expression. When have you ever seen a movie end like that? The, you know, like yeah this one this is it. that is great because you know you're waiting it's like ah no yeah. ah, ah no and you're kind of then, bec- uh, i i don't want to get into it i don't yeah. want to say it we'll talk after we stop recording it, it was well done it, it was set up and pay off yeah that's what it was yeah because okay this is what i'll say if the ending i would have been satisfied if the ending went either way really is that yeah Oh, I, I mean, I, I was hope I was chomping at the bit. I was like, ah, uh, you know, oh, and I was, okay. Yeah, yeah, I could see it. I could you see know? it. Yeah. All right. I could see Save it. that for a spoiler cast. The taking of Pelham yeah. 1, 2, 3. If we convince enough people to watch it. Nobody's going to watch this. No, nobody is. Nobody's gonna, nobody wanted with... to be a guest. Nobody wanted to be a guest on this show. They saw 70s movies. People were looking like, oh, 1974 Walter Matthau. Who is that? If if we encouraged one person, I guess I encouraged you to watch it, so that's pretty good. So I guess I did my job there. But if anyone else, just please let us know, because that's why we do these things. I'm thinking back of, like, all the movies we've done so far. And, like, there have been some good ones, but this is up there. Yeah. This is up. This might even... uh... Yeah, I think I enjoyed this one more than Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I don't know. There's they're, they're different movies, but yeah, they're different no, movies. I, no, but you know, yeah, like if, if I, was, I had to say, like, what what's like one of the best movies? Yeah, we've seen. if I was doing my like my top 100 list, I, I could see this movie being uh, above Shaun of the Dead. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, both are great, but yeah, mm, different reasons. Yeah. Yep, for sure. Well done. Well, hey. You keep suggesting things like this. Uh, you may end up as more than a guest someday. Maybe I should just retire here. Maybe that's it. I should just be done. <laughs> go, out, <laughs> go, out. go out on top. Yeah, that's it. Got to go out like well, Costanza. Out on a Join high note. next as we uh, watch RoboCop, RoboCop 2, and RoboCop 3. <laughs> I don't know about 2 and 3. But 1 is good times. Yeah.
I really need to rewatch two because I haven't seen that uh, as much. I know there are good parts in it. I love uh, that's the one with the kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. There, there's one great part at the beginning yes. where um, uh, there's like a hostage situation, and RoboCop is kind of engaging in back and forth dialogue with the uh, the, the hostage taker. He's like, "Oh, we can't have that, now, can we?" Yeah. The first the first fifteen twenty minutes of that movie is really good, where you get all the stop motion. Like where they're bringing out the different. Why are we talking about RoboCop? We're supposed to be talking about Pelham. This is this is right. Anyways, first fifteen minutes of that movie is good. Then it just falls off the rails. I gotta see. I okay. gotta see it again. All right. Ah, uh, hey, you, you got something to say? You got something to say about uh, Walter Matthau and um, Dennis Farina and uh, Roy Scheider, the French Connection. Um, uh, squibs and john carpenter go ahead over to the forums uh cartridgeclub.org retro fandango or hit us up on twitter at retro underscore fandango i see that you're also on discord am i i don't know we have a cat that takes care of that oh i, I see title okay and miss miss whiskers or something Apparently, we do a Discord thing. Somebody will check it. Maybe. Somebody might have might. to, uh, yeah. I don't think anyone's Let's checked the forums. Somebody. I don't think anyone's checked the forums in a long time. No? No. All right, well, say something on Twitter. Twitter's the best place. Yeah. Uh, and join us next month as we do Evil October. We'll be handling the Evil Dead movies. One, two, Dead by Dawn, and three, Army of Darkness. Or Ash versus the Army of Darkness, which is the title of the the copy I own. I have the official bootleg edition. I didn't know two had a subtitle. What did you say it was? Dead by, Dead Dead by, by Dawn. Dawn. I, I didn't yep. know that. I think I put it in previous outlines and you uh, erased it. I <laughs> did no such thing. Yeah. I, I'm just a guest, remember? Uh, right. <laughs> well guessed. Uh, in November, we're going to be doing Dystopian November. Uh, we're talking about uh, does Children of Men, Snowpiercer, and Idiocracy. I hope that's right because I just wrote those down from yes, memory. Those are all correct. Okay, and then in December, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I might have to uh, talk to some guests and uh, get, <laughs> get some guests lined up there. Yeah. Get some guests lined up. That's what you do when all you're right. a host. Line up some guests, make them do the work. I would uh, kind of like to revisit the original formula for this show and uh, do some recommendations, try to get some things we haven't seen before. Mm. <clears throat> that would be like a nice Christmas gift. So if I could well, that's a good give idea. you the gift of a, a new movie that you haven't experienced that you would enjoy. Well, it's your show. You, you get to do what you want. Well, it depends on what guest I have on that. Month. I see. Yeah. I'll have to tailor it to the guest needs, but that's up for debate. Uh, for now, uh, I would like to thank you, Kevin. You want to tell the people about your uh, YouTube channel once again? Oh, no, that's boring. Music pickups you do? That's nah, boring. Nobody cares. It's all good. No. I'm just happy what to be What you got here. lined up? What, 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 do you, what can we expect from you in the future? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm on all five of these uh, crazy podcasts, the Game of the Month slash game, Movie of the Month podcasts. So right now I'm, I've done three of them. I was on CC... The Cartridge Club one, 
where we talked about StarCraft. I was on CC Portable, where we talked about that game, Nanostray 2. Uh, then I, I've done this one. Tomorrow I'm going to be on RF Gen with... Uh, we're talking about Saints Row <laughs> 3. <laughs> There's a lot to remember. <laughs> Having a hard time keeping these together. And then finally, on Monday, we'll be recording the Quick Save Club podcast where we'll be talking about Minecraft. Hmm. So that's so you're what I'm guesting on that show as I'm well. Guesting on all these shows. But uh, let me tell you, this was so much fun being on uh, Retro Film Dangle. Thank you so much, Richard, for inviting me on. Uh, it's, it's oh, good it's times. my pleasure. It's all about the little people. I'm going to give you a chance wow. to shine on the interwebs. You found the smallest person you could possibly find. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, no problem. Maybe we'll have you back on oh, in the future. Be that'd be great. It's quite a waiting list. you got to wait uh, at least two people. Yes. Two people <laughs> deep. <laughs> <laughs>